0: In 1961, at the beginning of a training camp, uh, NFL Hall of Fame coach Vince Lombardi stood in front of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, if you remember, I don't know if many of us were old enough to remember when this was, but the uh, year before, uh, the Green Bay Packers were in the NFL, the NFL championship, uh, and that year before... Uh, they lost the NFL championship in the last few minutes of the fourth quarter. And as Vince Lombardi stood in front of this team of professional football players, he took a football and he lifted it up and he says, Men, this is a football. You see, Vince Lombardi knew something really important about the fundamentals. And it didn't matter if uh, the men standing in front of him were uh, men who their whole lives have grown up playing the game of football, no doubt some of them born with a football it into their hands. He still saw the need and understood the reality that fundamentals are of the utmost important even for those who have been doing it their whole life, even for those who make their living Off of the intricate details that go into the game of football, he understood that what they first needed to understand, if they were going to make it to a championship and win, is that the thing that they were playing was football. This morning, I stand before you, and I say to you that this is preaching. You see, something that many of you have done your whole lives is you come and you sit and you listen to preaching. And to have someone stand in front of you and say, here's the profit of preaching, or here's the benefit of preaching, sounds elementary, sounds basic. And even if you've been here in the church for 40, 50, 60 years, or maybe this is your first time stepping foot into a church, it's important to understand the basic principles of why a man gets behind a pulpit who is called by God, opens up the word and preaches the message of God. And that's what we're going to do this morning on this standalone sermon, is we're going to understand that preaching is an indispensable tool for any Christian who has a genuine desire to grow in their faith. That if you are a Christian, if you have a commitment to God, if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to mature, and as the Word of God says, uh, become complete, that is equipped, that is able to fulfill what God has called you to do, preaching is a fundamental part of your sanctification, fundamental part of you being a Christian. As a matter of fact, Neglecting the significant role of preaching that it plays in your life is going to keep you from the same spiritual growth that you've been desiring to have for years. You see, biblical preaching helps undergird your faith, feeds your faith, and allows you to grow in a particular kind of way that cannot happen In many other avenues of your life. And so we need to sit and understand the impacts of solid biblical preaching. You see, the premise of preaching is this: that God is real, that he has spoken, and we must listen. You see, that's the fundamental truth of biblical preaching, right? That we affirm something about God, that he is real, right? That God, the transcendent God of the universe who transcends, but is a very imminent, involved in our lives, that that same God has spoken. Right? He has said something to you and me, and He has something for His people. And because we understand those fundamental truths about God, we therefore must listen. God has something to say to His people. That's the reason as we look at 2 Timothy 3 this morning, and if you go ahead and turn your Bibles open to 2 Timothy 3, that very book in your hand is God's words, and God has something to say to you this morning. So I encourage you and implore you to open that up to let God speak to you through His very words to His church this morning. 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's last remarks that are recorded in Scripture, and he has something really important to say as he believes that he's nearing the end of his life. He has some really important things to say to young Timothy, the young protege, the young pastor. There's a very important things that Paul wants Timothy to know because Paul's not going to be in his life for very much longer. So he writes him this letter, and he starts by saying this really, really important, pivotal statement that shades and colors, everything you and I believe as Christians or should believe as Christians. And it is this in the first phrase in verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. My friends, that is called a truth claim, right? That means that the Bible has set forth something in front of you and I that no other book does, Right? That The Bible has told us something about itself that I don't find when I read Harry Potter or when I read National Geographic. I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying. There's a reason I don't get up here and I don't open up another book because I don't have another book that I open up and say, this is the Word of God breathed out on paper. Right? So fundamentally, if you get anything out of this sermon, you come and you listen to preaching because it's the breathed out Word of God. He's given us a truth claim, and he's given us a self-authenticating message about the Bible's content, right? And I get it. You're like, well, the Bible is the thing that says the Bible is the Word of God. But yeah, of course. What else was going to tell us that? I mean, God said in his Word, this is the Word of God, and it is self-authenticating. It means it bears witness and bears testimony about the truth of itself, And you're going to see this morning how that is plenty sufficient for you and I to take this book as his word and take the message of preaching seriously in your life. And there's no place in Scripture that is more apparent than right here in verse 16 when it says this, that it is breathed out by God, right? That's the Greek word, theopneustos, right? Theopneustos. if you should write that on your paper if you know how to spell it, right? Now, if you don't have an ESV, okay, your version, if you have the NASB, the CSB, the KJV, the NKJV, um, a lot of versions, they use the word inspired. How many of you have that word in, in your Bible, inspired? There's a few of you, inspired. A fine word, it's a great word. Okay, uh, the problem with that word is you tell me what that word means. Okay, it's good for you to learn what that word means. If it's in your Bible, you need to know what it means. And if you have the ESV, it does that. It says it right there. It's breathed out by God, which is exactly what the word "inspired" means. In the Greek, you have the word theopneustos. Right? Greek into Latin, which is where you get a lot of your uh, first translations of your Bible into Latin. They have taken that Greek word theopneustos and made it the word, translated it into the word inspiro, right? In Latin, it is the word inspiro, which all inspiro means is that it is breathe out, that it is breathe, that it is given, right? And you got to know that. And you should put that in your Bible, somewhere in your notes on your paper, you need to write that inspiro in Latin is to blow upon or to breathe into. Because here's the problem. In our 21st century culture, you use the word inspired, you don't mean to blow out, do you? You don't mean to to speak When you think of the word inspired, you think that Rembrandt got really inspired one day and he painted the storm on the Sea of Galilee, right? I mean, that's you. You're saying it's inspired. Some of you get inspired, some of you ladies and some of you men get inspired and you go spring clean, right? Some of you men get inspired and you go and you mow the yard, right? It's not the same word, right? That's not what the word inspired in the Bible means. In the Bible, inspired means that it is breathed out by God, And that's important because when you read that all Scripture is inspired, you could mistakenly think that some men got real excited and real passionate about their spirituality and started writing out some things about a God. And you would be completely wrong because it means that it is breathed out, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Which brings me to the second key statement right right there is all Scripture See, that that brings us to a problem with many people's beliefs about the Bible, right? Some of it is God, some of it's not. Uh, The Old Testament is, the New Testament's not. I don't know about the Song of Solomon, right? I don't know about James, right? There's some of these books that I get that a lot of the Bible is inspired, but what about about that book? What about this book? What about that statement? Or why isn't this book in there? Why isn't that book in there? And so we have to do something as a Christian. If you're a Christian in here, right, and you take the Word of God seriously, you've got to know, what do I do? When it says all Scripture. Because people are going to come and tell me, well, all Scripture isn't inspired by God. What are you going to do about that, Christian? You and I have to ask the question, is it just the 39 books in the Old Testament that's inspired? Because if you understand your history, your Christian history, if you understand the historical context, you find Second Timothy, the New Testament is not even codified in a canon at this point. So when, when Paul is writing this to Second Timothy, there is no New Testament. Now, of course, there are some letters floating around from Paul, right, from Peter, right, there are some letters, Luke has written his letters most likely, Uh, some of the gospels have been, are getting ready to be written and disseminated, so we have some of them, but they're floating around, they're not codified, they can't open up this book and say, this is the New Testament, this is the Old Testament, so what we know for sure in this text, Paul is specifically talking about the Old Testament, so we can at least affirm that, but now as a Christian, you're, you're left with a big gap, aren't you, well, what about the other 27 books? What about the rest of these books? Are, they, are you telling me they're not God's Word? Well, what we have to ask is, what does the Bible say about this? Right. What does the Bible say about the New Testament being God's Word? I'll give you a couple. Well, my, my, my watch is trying to tell me it found the answer. We'll just listen to what they have to say. All right, turn that off. I don't even know how to turn that off. Let's just hope it didn't do that again. All right, let me give you a a scripture to jot down, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, jot that one down, 2 Peter 3, 15 through 16, we have Peter writing to the church and he says this, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he did in all of his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, matters of God, matters pertaining to life and godliness of judgment and righteousness uh, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Amen. Anybody? You ever read the Bible and you said that was pretty hard to understand? Uh, Peter's saying, "I know you guys read some of Paul's letters and you understand other things that are hard to understand in those." And listen to this next phrase, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Did you hear that? Did you hear what Peter just did with Paul's writings? Right. Paul, he, Peter didn't go and out and just write out say. Paul's letters are authoritative. or well, he did, but he didn't say that this is the Bible. But what he did is he took the Bible, he took what is in, what we know to be inspired as the Old Testament, and he went ahead and he put Paul's letters equally authoritative along with those. Because no one ever said uh, about me that people twist the Bible and Hayden's letters. right? I mean, no one ever said they, they twisted the, the Holy Scriptures and, and your letters because there's, there's no comparing the two. Right? One's authoritative, one's not. And so here in the letters of the New Testament, we have Peter both stating that the, the letters of Paul are authoritative, equal with Scripture, and people in the New Testament were reading Paul's letters of Scriptures. Is that, is that enlightening to you that even the New Testament is already in a very early stage, authenticating the Old Testament and proving the reliability of itself in the New Testament? When he says that they twist the letters of Paul as they do the other scriptures. The other. do you hear, see that? As the other scriptures. He didn't say they twist Paul's, Paul's letters as they do scripture. He says as they do the other scriptures. So even there, he's saying there are these that we see as scripture, as New Testament, as codified, as authoritative, and we have the other scriptures that they do that as well. So even there in the New Testament, there's you one scripture that says they saw the New Testament letters that we have codified in our Bible as authoritative, breathed out by God. And there's a couple of more. 1 Timothy 5.18. 1 Timothy 5.18, jot that down because it says this, for the scriptures say, you hear that, right? Scriptures. It said, for the scriptures say, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain. And you're like, Pastor Hayden, that's Deuteronomy 25.4. Yeah, you're right. It is. But listen to the rest of it. Then it says, and the laborers deserve his wages. You don't find that in Deuteronomy 25.4, do you? Even if you flipped over there, you're not going to find it. Because what you just read there was from Luke 10.7. And Luke 10.7, last time I checked, is not in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. And so what I have here is already Paul even using, uh, in the New Testament, taking gospel passages from the gospel of Luke and inserting them into another New Testament book, equal and authoritative to Deuteronomy. Do you see that? I mean, this is a little bit like you're in class. I know it sounds like we're teaching because we are, but you have to see that even the New Testament itself sees itself as authoritative and breathed out by God and has no qualms with including itself in the canon of God-breathed Scripture. Because Luke ten seven says this, "...remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages." So Paul took First Timothy in 5.18, and he smacked Deuteronomy 25 together with Luke 10, and said, this is authoritative Scripture, and you need to trust it and believe it and do what it says. And what I'm saying is, as a Christian, you can rest assured... That what you affirm in the 66 books of the canon of the Bible that you have in your hand or on your phone right now in this very moment are the same books affirmed even in the earliest parts of Christian history. I could speak on this for days and days and days because there is that much to say. But here, we must at least be able to say as Christians that we affirm the inspiration of the Bible. And that's point number one on your outline. Fill that out. Write that down as point number one. You need to affirm the inspiration of the Bible. And by inspiration, remember, what do I mean, church? What do I mean? Breathed out. out. It's God breathed. You are affirming that the Bible that you hold in your hand is breathed out by God. You say, Pastor Hayden, what does this have to do with preaching? Well, it has to do do everything with preaching because preaching has a little value if the Bible isn't God breathed. I have a little value standing up here telling you anything that is not from God. I wouldn't waste my time with it. You shouldn't waste your time being here. But we're here and we're sitting under the preaching of God's word because preaching has great value because the Bible is God's very words. The bottom line is you're not going to take preaching seriously if you don't see the Bible as God's words to us. And some of you may, may be a reflection of that, maybe a product of not taking preaching seriously your whole life. Right? Some of you may be in here and say, yeah, I've never, I never taken preaching seriously. Well, and I'm telling you that you've most likely, most definitely had a stunt in your spiritual growth that God desires to give you because you have lacked a seriousness about intaking the preached Word of God. Because we first have to believe and trust that the Bible that you hold in your hands is God's breathed out Word. Let me flip you to a passage, 2 Peter 1. Go ahead and flip to 2 Peter 1 in your God-breathed manual of life right there. And that Bible that you hold in your hands, that is breathed out by God, flip to his words to us in 2 Peter. We'll be in chapter 1. And this is what Peter has to say about the words of God. 1 Peter 1, verse 16, starting in verse 16. Here's what he has to say. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's good news, right? The good news is when you read in the Bible, you're not seeing cleverly devised myths, right? You're not seeing people's, uh, people's great mystical thoughts about what could have been. What you see here is people who did this. I want you to read, follow along with that next phrase. But we were what? There it is, eyewitnesses of His majesty. You have people who were there in the life of Christ, and what they're doing is they're writing down what happened. They're recording what had really happened in the life of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, For when Jesus, when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, you remember in the beginning of the Gospels when God said, about His Son through the clouds, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Right, That just isn't a literary device in the Gospels to try to get you to take serious who Jesus is. The disciples heard it. They were there and they're re-recording it like we see it in the Gospels here saying, we were there and we heard this. We heard this majesty, this majestic God of glory who through the clouds as the dove descended on His Son, He said, this is my Son and I am well pleased. Right, verse eighteen. We ourselves heard this very voice, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we listen to this, verse nineteen. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What does that mean? Well, the Old Testament alludes to Christ, doesn't it? Read Isaiah. Right? You, read, you read all the Old Testament, you can read most of it, there was, there was a promise, there was a covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant that weren't fully confirmed, they were told and there was something yet to come. And he says, we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed because we were there with him when it happened. We saw all that was promised come to fulfillment in Christ. And this is what he has to say to the church, and this is what God has to say to you. This fully confirmed prophetic word that we have in the word of God to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Right? Poetic way to say this is a good time for you to pay attention to what God's word says. And you should uh, follow it as a lamp shining in a dark place until the coming of Christ. Right Until Christ comes back, this is your guidebook. Right? This is the compass of your life. And this is the very thing that you need to be paying attention to. The fully confirmed word of God. And why can you do that? Why, why can I do this? Verse 20. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. I love this, right? Uh, the, prophets, the prophets in the Old Testament, right, the prophetic writing of the New Testament, none of it was man's imagination, right? It wasn't man's best thoughts about God, right? It was God's thoughts written down through man as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, And so what we're going to see here is that no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Verse 21, isn't that good news? Right. You're not relying on man's best thoughts here. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's your good news. When you open up the Bible, you can rest assured that it's God's word because man wrote it, but they wrote it as they were being carried along by God. By the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean for us? It means at our basic assumption of the Scripture that it is breathed out by God, that means as a preacher, whatever God's Word says, we preach it, right? Right? I mean, for you it's, and for I also, it's whatever God's word says, we're going to do it, right? I mean, we're going we're to preach everything in God's word and we're going to do whatever God's word says to do, right? I mean, that's what it means that it's God's word, right? that I'm going to do it because it's his and he is the creator of the universe. And as creator of the universe, he has a full ability and authority to say what is right and what is wrong, what is morally okay, what is morally reprehensible, and therefore I live according to his holiness, not my own. Objective propositional truth is what we call biblical truth. Are you following me here? Because we live in in a world, in a postmodern, post-truth society where your truth is your truth and my truth is, is my truth. There's a problem with that. And Francis Schaeffer, a long time ago, about 80 years ago, said something really important for Christians of the 21st century, and that is he qualified it by saying what we believe about the Bible is that it is true truth. Right? That it is not just my truth, it is true truth, which is a truth that you need to affirm in your own life and to say you're right, the Bible isn't just my truth, the Bible isn't man's best thoughts about God, the Bible is true truth. Right, Is it the truth that is really true? And you ask, why, right? why? Why should I just do whatever the Bible says? Well, number one, it's God's Word, but there's something in it for you. Right? There's something in it for you to see God's Word as what it really is. And you find that. You can jot it down in Romans 15.4. Right? Uh, and it says in Romans 15.4, "...whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction." I mean, that should be a really great memory verse for you as you ask yourself, why should I take serious the claims of the Bible? Because whatever was written in former days, according to the Word of God, was written for us. That through, the, in, through endurance, right, through our own endurance and our faith, as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, conforming us to the image of God, and, right, there's an and here, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Any of you lack hope some days? Right? Any of you lack sufficient hope and sufficient encouragement uh, to make it through this week? Okay, the Bible exists, God's very words exist to give us hope, and it's done through the encouragement of Scripture. And so you ask, who profits from preaching? Right, that's the title of the sermon, the prophet of preaching. If there's a prophet of preaching, we got to understand who profits from preaching. Right, who gets the benefit of preaching? Look at verse 17, back at our main text in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 3, 17. It says here that Scripture is for the man of God, right? The man of God. If you're a gal in here, just hold on a minute. Uh, The man of God is a term that we see many times in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, in the Greek version of the Old Testament, what we call the LXX, right? Something that uh, even in the first century, the the disciples were reading, the Septuagint. uh, In that Septuagint, right, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which Greek is what most people were reading in the first century. That's why we refer to this, uh, this volume, this, this, this codices, this codex, this book, right? We see that during that time, 60 times in the Greek Old Testament, the term man of God was used, right? And so what Paul is getting into the mind of young Timothy is simply this, that, uh, the man of God, the men of God, those who love the Lord, right? those who are believers, we would call them Christians, right? those who are disciples, right? those people are who the Word of God is for. Right? In the Old Testament, uh, man of God was given to people like Moses, David, Elijah, Elijah, Samuel, right? all these people. They were called ma- men of God or man of God. They received the title man of God. Timothy, and that's exactly what Paul's doing here. Remember the, the letters to Timothy. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's saying, Timothy, you are man of God, and you can rest assured that if you're a believer and you're a Christian in here, living for the Lord, you are a man or a woman of God. Now, if you want to object and say, Pastor, Aiden, man of God, that was given to those anointed, those leaders, those pastors, those those, those great people. So I get that the, maybe the, the word of God was for those people to, to so they could have the encouragement, so they could you know they could live in righteousness. Okay. Great. If it was good for them, it's good for you, right? I mean, I'm going to argue from the greater to the less. Like, If it was great for the greats, right? If it was great for the men of God who, who carried Israel and for those who, who were the foundation stones of the early church, then it's good for you and I living in New Braunfels here at Compass Bible Church in 2022. Wouldn't you agree? So we see that for you and I, we are men and women of God, that the word of God is good for us. Us to do something. Now, when I say that it's good for all the people of God, I want to answer a lot of objections because I think this is important, right? Many people uh, these days, when they come and they hear a message in the church, they are expecting it to be explicitly evangelistic, right? Uh, That when I go to church, what I need to hear every single week is a message for the unsaved. But there's a fundamental problem when I read scripture. When I read Scripture, I have to understand, because I'm reading the Word of God, it says that the preaching in the local church is primarily for the maturation of the people of God. Primarily. Now, secondarily, and not to the exclusion of, also for non-Christians. Did you hear that? The problem is we reversed it. In today's churches, we say, well, it's about the non Christians who are sitting in our church. uh, And also, if the Christians, if those who have been saved, can get something out of it, that's great. But as long as the non Christians got something out of it, we're good. But that isn't what the Bible says about the work of preaching. The work of preaching in the local church is for the maturation of the church, and secondarily, to also spread the gospel within the lives of people who don't know Christ in the church. And the reason about that is because the church is for the Christian. The non-Christians, biblically speaking, are the ones outside the church. And if we're maturing the people inside of the church, when they go outside of the church, what are they going to be equipped to do? Preach the gospel. You see, we got to understand what the preaching is for. right? I mean, we've got to understand why the man sits up on stage and preaches the word. Because it's for the maturation of the people of God. Right? If I lost you, just look at verse 17. Right, that the word of God is that the man of God may be what's that word there? Somebody tell me out loud. Complete. Uh, I want you to be you can be be responsive. We need to be a responsive church in here. Nine o'clock crowd. All right. The word of God makes the disciple complete. Right. That word complete means simply this: that you're proficient and able to perform the duty of a disciple. I mean, that is the goal of preaching. The Word of God is to work in the life of the believer to make them proficient and mature. For what reason? Well, keep looking at verse 17. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The work of Scripture is to work in the life of the believer to enable them to profitably, proficiently do the work of ministry. Ephesians 2.10, you remember that verse, right? From Sunday school, right? You remember that verse. For we are his workmanship, right? created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I mean, that is the job of, of the Christian. Like, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ for good works, the things to do, that we have a job. And in that job, we have to be equipped to go proficiently do the job. And so when you sit in the church and you have a pastor preaching, that's why we take notes, right? That's why we pay attention. That's why we get here and go get a coffee so we're ready to go when we sit in here because we're doing something in here, right? We're doing something in this room and we are equipping for ministry, right? And because that is our role, right, for the people of God to be complete, equipped for every good work, the Bible is good for this, and I, I didn't skip 16, I put it off, so now you can go back and see. Okay, the job, right, for the Christian is to be complete, equipped for every good work. That's why the Bible does a couple of things. Now look back at verse sixteen, right? Because the Bible is God's breathed out, inspired word, He uses Scripture to complete and equip the believer, and He does it through a couple of ways, right? Which means you need to begin now as you're taking notes, and I hope you take some good notes right here. Right? You need to under well, now that you understand that preaching. And God's Word is designed to make you proficient and equipped for the good works that God has prepared for you beforehand. Can I go off on a little tangent for a moment? I'm in the pulpit, so I get to. Okay, uh, this is why preaching in the church is designed for Christians right, because I'm not going to look at a non-Christian and say, go do all those good works, or go, go get your own righteousness, go make it all about you, you go try to work your way to God, right? I, people, I've had people come up to me in the history, and they say, why are you preaching about good works, why are you preaching about, uh, why are you saying that, you know, we have these things we got to do now, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, because that's what the Christian's job is, right, to be stewards of God's grace, if you don't have God's grace, you can't be a steward of it. And so you're right. If I was preaching to a room of non-Christians and I said, go get to work, I would be preaching heresy. But since I'm preaching in, in the presence of God's people, I'm preaching biblical Christianity. Do, are we all on the same page there? Okay. That's the difference. Right? That's the reason why preaching matters. And it matters that I'm preaching to God's church here, is that we're to equip you for every good work. Now, back to what the scriptures do right, the first thing, write this down, it is good for teaching, and that's what it says there in verse 16, it's profitable for teaching, that's the Greek word didaskalos, which just means accurate teaching of Christian doctrine, that's all that means, right, I mean, and that's what the Bible is, The the, the Bible is the accurate words and truth about God, so therefore, that's what it's good for, to give us an accurate representation and picture of who God is, Secondly, and this is where it starts getting, getting fuzzy for us, it starts getting hairy, one would say, you have to allow God's Word to reprove you, to reprove you. You know what the word reprove means? To convict you. And this is where it starts getting uncomfortable for people, right? When We understand that the, the very words of God is designed to convict me. Well, isn't that the one thing that I don't want God to do? Is convict me, right? That's the one thing when I walk through the doors of a church and I sit down, like, God, do whatever you want to do, preacher, do whatever you want to do, just don't convict me of my sin. The problem is, is when I open up the Bible and the the, the Bible says this is what the Bible does, that's exactly what it does. And so when people walk in, and maybe you invite your friend right who doesn't know Christ, and uh, and you're just hoping the pastor doesn't preach on sin or the wrath of God or the penalty of our sin or justice, and then they do it, and you're like, oh no, my my friend's gonna get convicted. You're like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what the Bible does. And so when we come into the church and we don't feel convicted, you should look at your pastor and say, did you preach the Word of God today? but did you preach the word of Hayden today? Because the Bible tells me that if I'm in here sitting under the preaching of God's word, I'm gonna be convicted. All right, second word, third word, here you go. You need to allow God's word to correct you because that's what it's profitable for, for correction, that it will correct you. And that means this, that it puts you back on the right path. Right, if you ever walk out of the church and all you are is convicted and you haven't been given a way to get on the right path, then that's a biblical preaching problem. Because right? it's not just to convict you of sin, it's to convict and correct. Right? It's to wound and to heal, it's been said. Right? The Word of God should wound you. Right, You should feel penetrated and jabbed and pierced in the heart. But when the end of the sermon is done, you should feel corrected or healed through the preaching of God's Word. That is if you respond to it, right? I mean, you can hear the Word of God all you want, and it can try to correct you, and you not respond to it. That's on you. But the work of preaching should wound, and it should heal, right? It should convict, and it should correct. That's what the Bible does. And finally, it trains in righteousness, and that's, that's what it says, and you should, you should underline that, because I believe that in the time we live in, uh, saying that the pastor's job and the, 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 the work of the Bible and the pastor pr- doing his job should train you in righteousness. That's often a sore topic, isn't it? That when you come in here and you listen to God's word, uh, it should train you to live a righteous life. That means when the Bible says, do we do. When the Bible says, don't we don't. Right? I mean, that is what the Bible exists for us to do. Now, again, you saw the problem there. Right? If, you're, if I'm in a church of non-Christians and I say what the Bible says do, what the Bible says don't, what am I going to lead a non-Christian to? Nothing. Right. I'm going to lead them to see their failure over and over and over again with no hope. And that's wounding. That's not healing. Right? But for the Christian who has the Holy Spirit within them, the, the conviction is, hey, you're not doing these things. Right? The healing is the Holy Spirit has empowered you to be able to do those things through his working and not your own. Did you see how that's healing? Right? To wound a Christian is to say, don't worry about doing things. Now that continues wounding the Christian. Because you have this innate desire through the Holy Spirit in your life to be proficient and to be good and godly and do the good works that God has called you to, according to Ephesians 2.10. But yet you're never called to do them. And so you live your life as a Christian, and you're like, ah, I don't know, I'm missing something. Yes, you're missing the work that God has called you to do. You see the you see the preaching, the work of preaching is to the church. The work of preaching is to the, the those who have been justified in Christ. All right. Training in righteousness, right? Christian discipline that leads to holy living. You gotta allow God's word to discipline you in a way that leads you to holy living. Put it this way, it's point number two. You need to utilize the Bible as your compass, right? You get it, compass, ha-ha, uh-huh. yeah, compass, compass, Bible, church. That's why we have the name that we have, right? Compass Bible Church. We're a church. Remember, ecclesia, those who have been called out of their sins and into Christ. We're a church, right? Uh, we focus on the Bible, and the Bible is our compass, compass, Bible, church, right? That's That in our name is who we are, not just as this local expression of the church, but it's just all Christians are, right? We're, we're all people, who are in need of the Bible as our compass, and we all should be a part of the local church. Now, let me flip you to another verse to get you uh, crystallized in understanding the work of the pastor and preaching. Ephesians 4. Flip over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. <clears throat> you may know this verse very common verse in Ephesians, right? Uh, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. uh, And and Christ, right? He gave the apostles and the prophets, right? We see in the the verse before that, the apostles and prophets were who? Those whom the, the foundation of the church was built on, right? The apostles, the 12 disciples, the apostles, and the prophets who wrote before them, who gave us the Old Testament. So you have the apostles, the 12 apostles, and you have the prophets, those who wrote the Old Testament, those who wrote the New Testament, right? They... They had a job, and they did it. They fulfilled it. And today, we have the evangelists and the shepherd teacher. That's one word in the Greek, shepherd teacher, those who shepherd you and teach you the Word of God. So nowadays, we have the evangelists and the shepherd teachers to do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did you know that that was your pastor's job? That word there, shepherd, comes from the Greek word poimen. Do you know what we we translate the word poimen into Pastor. Pastor is the word for poyman. All right, so when we see shepherd here, when you call me or Pastor Evan, Pastor Evan, Pastor Hayden, you're calling them Shepherd Evan, Shepherd Hayden. And so there you're, and, and what are we doing? We're teaching that askalos, right? So we are your shepherd teachers, and the job of the shepherd teacher is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Well, what's the job of Scripture? Well, it tells me in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3 that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Again, the work of preaching is to equip the church for the work of ministry. And I, I hope in your mind some lights are going off. Maybe some, some knobs are being tightened in a way where you understand a little more clearly what you do here on Sunday morning. Like, what is going on here? This is what's going on. You're being equipped for the work of ministry. right? For the building up of the body of Christ. I mean, that's the work of preaching. For building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. right? Ephesians 4, 12. 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith through the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. Do you remember that? We use the word in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 3, complete, right? There's that word complete. Now we have this word mature, that the work of preaching is that we would be complete and mature. The work of the, God's Word in our lives should mature us to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? I mean, that's our job, right? That's the work of of the local church is to teach people about God that we'd be equipped for the work of God and the work of ministry. Now that means something, right? That we preach using the Bible as our compass. And like I said earlier, right, here's what we do and this is why it's of utmost importance for you to understand this phrase and this sentence that at Compass your pastors allow the Bible to use us to preach its message, right? Your pastors at Compass don't allow The Bible to preach our message. Did you understand the difference there, right? My job, and when you come here on Sunday mornings, you're going to hear the pastor, the preacher, allow the Bible to use the preacher to preach its message, right? You're not going to come in here to hear uh, the pastor, the preacher, use the Bible to preach my own message, because we've all heard people do that, right? Probably most of us have done that a time or two, right? We have something we want to say, and we go point at a verse and say, see, right? It doesn't work that way, right? We go to the Bible And then the the implications, the application of the Bible then informs how we live, right? See, that's the difference of using the Bible instead of using your opinion in a proof text. And the goal of preaching is that we allow the Bible to use us to preach its message. And for the preacher and for the expository listener, right, for for the congregant, we understand, right, that the Bible is God's Word, His breath. It's your compass, and it's your pastor's charge to preach it exactly how it's given. Isn't that an unfortunate part of a pastor's job, right? I mean, I'm the guy who knocks on your door, gives you the bad news all the time, and, and like, you know, and I don't expect everyone to like it, right? I mean, uh, it'd be like me doing this. Hey, uh, I need to give you the whole truth, right? And the problem with many pastors is they give you half-truths, so and many churches give you half-truths half-truths. I'm not here to talk negative about churches. I'm just saying something you've probably experienced over your life is you have heard half-truths. Okay, it would be like me saying, hey, we're going to go on a hike. Come with me. Let's go on a hike. And you see me and I'm all dressed up and I'm all like, I look like I'm about to conquer the universe and you're out in your chacos and your shorts and you got a nice little bucket hat on with some sunglasses and you put a little bit of sunscreen on. Uh, We jump on a plane and we end up overseas and we are about to climb Mount Everest, right? And, I, and you said, you told me you were going on a hike. We are up the tallest mountain in the universe, right? The tallest mountain in the world. We're going up that. Well, you didn't tell me the whole story. Like you told me you we're going on a hike. It is going to be a hike. But If you would have told me the whole story, I would be looking like you and not like me. Well, I just, you know, I didn't want to freak you out, you know. I didn't didn't want to scare you, you know. Uh, And I just, I wanted us to be friends at the end of this, right. I wanted you and me to be on, I just didn't, I didn't want to offend you. I didn't want to scare you. I didn't want to, I wanted you to be here, right. I wanted you, I want this church to be full, so I'm going to preach half truth. I don't want anybody to not come because I tell them the whole truth. I mean, you see how foolish that is, right? Just as foolish as it would be for me to say, we're going to go up Mount Everest, but I'm not going to tell you how to prepare. Right? The whole Bible teaches us how to prepare for the coming of Christ. And the goal is to preach the whole thing. And my job is to have to preach the whole thing. Right? If you think for a moment that as a pastor, every single word I read in the Bible, I just, it just makes me happy. Right? You're crazy. I'm just like you. Right? Sometimes I read the Bible and I'm like, really? I got to do that? Or, mm, that's, oh, mm, that's a hard one. Yeah, it is, right? That's why we all need the preaching of God's Word. Now, we understand that giving someone half-truth is not biblical truth, and that's why we see in chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul says something to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. I love this. Paul's saying, here's your job, and I'm going to give you this job and this responsibility uh, in the presence of and the accountability of God and Christ. And so your pastors should feel the pressure of preaching the Word of God through the accountability of God and Christ. That that is the reason we preach the whole truth, right? If I'm accountable to you or accountable to the the masses, I'm probably going to preach whatever they want me to preach. But I'm accountable to God and Christ, and so therefore I'm accountable to preach exactly what they want me to preach. Now, here's why it's important to hear the whole story. Because the charge and the presence of God in Christ is really important because of what God and Christ are going to do. It says here in verse 1 that God and Christ are coming and they are the ones who are to judge the living and the dead and by their appearing and their kingdom. The preacher's got to know that there's a time that God's judgment is coming to everyone. And so when I know that the judgment of God and the justice of God is coming down on the world, there is no time for half-truth. Right? I have not a Sunday to waste when it comes to God's truth because God's wrath, God's perfect justice is coming on all the unrighteous, right? which is good news for the believer. Right? The good news for the believer is you see all the injustices in the whole world. Right? You, you, you go and you it for injustice. You, you go protest for injustice. Right? You try to pass a legislation for injustice. And I'm telling you that the Bible tells me that God is going to come and he's going to quell all the injustice. Right. He's going to stop all the injustice. His perfect justice is going to reign supreme. That's good news for the Christian. Bad news for those who still under the judgment of God because they have not been imputed the righteousness of Christ. You see what I'm saying? We're good, if you're a Christian in here, because not because you're good, but because you've been given the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to you. It's been given to you. So you're safe, okay? Not because of you, in spite of you. And then you have all of the other people, right, when we understand that God's judgment's coming on everyone and it's gonna come by his appearing in his kingdom. So Christ's gonna usher in his kingdom, and all these people over here are gonna be like, Why did you guys tell me the half truth? I mean, you told me that God wanted the best for me, right? You told me that God loves me, right? You told me that, that everything was gonna be all right. And we're over here, right, dressed up, ready to go. It is for us. You see the importance of good biblical preaching. Because it is good for us. I mean, you're a Christian in here. It's going to be great for you. Right? I mean, I can't wait for the appearing of the kingdom of Christ and how he's going to come and pour out perfect justice on the world. I mean, that's that's beautiful. But everyone over here, right, they're going to say, you didn't give me the whole story. I mean, you didn't tell me. You didn't. Why didn't you tell me that? You knew that. You should have. You went to a Bible teaching church. They should have told you that, and you should have told me. And that's the importance of biblical preaching. Because it is by The appearing of Christ and his kingdom, that he's going to come and he's going to enact perfect justice on the world and on the universe. Now, what's the job of the preacher here? Look at verse 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is a judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing and his kingdom, here's the call. Because of those truths, here's the call preach the word preach the word right that's the greek word caruso and I, you need to know that because caruso uh, when when you get excited about something in church you may say preach it pastor preach it okay not the same right? caruso to publicly announce the truth and the principles of god while urging acceptance and compliance did you hear that that's the, that's the definition. That didn't come from me. That comes from the Greek-English lexicon that we have. It's called Launida. Right? Go look it up. Right? That's literally from the semantic domains of the word and the uses of them in the Greek. That's the meaning. That's the meaning of the text. Like To preach is for me to preach to you the truth of God's word and urging acceptance of God's word and compliance to God's word. That sounds a lot more like preparing people for something that's coming, doesn't it? More so than say something that I like that I can get excited about. The work of preaching is to say, God's coming back. And it is good news for those who have Christ. It is the absolute worst news for people who don't. That's why the bad news is important when we preach the gospel. It's not good news until it becomes good news when you know and you accept and respond to the bad news and respond to the gospel through turning from your sins and trusting in Christ. That's the goal in the work of the Christian and we have to, as the pastors, right, preach the Word. We have to carousel the Word, all the Word. I'm going to urge you to accept the Word of God and comply to the Word of God. That's the work. That's the reason every point, if you notice uh, here, is this is what we need to do now. This is what we need to do now. This is what we need to do, because that's what the Word of God says. Here's what, here's what we do next, right? You need to affirm the inspiration of the Bible. You need to utilize the Bible as your compass. I mean, these are all really, really important things, and I am to urge you to do those things. Now, here's the bad news for me, right? This is the fine print that wasn't so fine in my uh, job description. Uh, Preach the word, and here's when I preach the word. Preach the word especially when everybody wants to hear it and especially when people want to do everything it says. Is that what it says? Is not what it says. It says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Like, I like the in season part, right? I like that when I preach the word, everyone's coming, right? I mean, there's going to be thousands of people here because they hear the word of God being preached, and I'm the good guy, right? I I love it, right? But it also tells me that i got to preach the word out of season, right? That there's a time where people aren't buying what I'm selling, right? I mean, you're not going to buy sweaters in the summertime because it's out of season, Right? You're not even I mean a sweater shop might as well close it down in the summertime. And the job of the pastor isn't to shut it down in summertime because people don't want to buy what I'm selling. Right? The job is to say it's the word of God, and whether it's in season or out of season, preaching's in season, right? I'm here. I'm we're open. We're open because the whole word of God is going to be preached. Now, that is why it's the Christian's job, right? The congregant, the Christian's job to do this, and it's point number three. You need to intentionally intake the preached word. right? Intentionally intake the preached word. Because that's the job. That's why your pastor is, to the best of their ability, faithful to the text. Right? Everything we got, we spend hours and, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours getting into the text to preach something that allows you to be equipped for every good work. So you need to intentionally intake the preached word. Because when you intentionally intake the preached word, I want to show you this list right, that comes up there in verse 2, that looks strikingly similar to the list that we just looked at in verse 16. I want to show you the relationship between God's Word and the pastor, right? The, The God's Word and the preached Word from your pastor. There's a similarity there, right? Because remember, the Word of God is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now watch how the preached Word is supposed to interact with God's Word. Look, now, preaching, in as it is focused on the inspired Word of God and utilized as the compass of life, is going to mature you through these four things, right? And you got to remember, the four things here aren't the purpose. Remember what the purpose is? To mature you, to equip you for every good work. That's the goal. Now, here's what preaching will do to enact that goal. This is what preaching does to make that happen. And this is what you need to do, right? You need to allow preaching to reprove you. Remember that? We already used that word, to convict you. Right? When you come in here and the pastor is preaching and it convicts you, right, that's the work of preaching. That's what it should do. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to convict you of sin. convict you of a life that isn't lived for Christ. That is the goal. Right? And if you think the conviction ends there and doesn't make it into the pulpit, you're wrong, right? When I preach you a message, I preach it to myself five times this week. Right, you're here for an hour. I've worked on this sermon for 20, 25 hours. And so everything that you're hearing, I've been hearing all week long in my own life. And we allow God's Word to convict us. Two, right, rebuke. And that's what it says right there. We need to allow preaching to rebuke or right, to denounce or disapprove of. This one's a big one, right? I mean, you ought to, must, according to Scripture, allow preaching to disapprove of things that are going on in your life. Right? I mean, we've had, you've heard the stories of, well, I heard that and I just walked out because I didn't like it. Okay, that's the thats the work of preaching. Now, the work of preaching isn't to slap people upside the head and tell them just how terrible they are and not give, them, not give them correction, right? But it is to disapprove of things that are going on. Does any of you have anything going on in your life that God would disapprove of? No, two people. All right, all right. What a righteous church. Wow. What am I doing up here right now? Uh, right, we, we all do, right? in the work of preaching of the pastor, is to know the congregation and say, I know this is going on in your life. Like, I know a lot of you come in here and you don't pay attention. Right? I know that so many of you come in here and you're like, eh, like, I get it. I've been doing this for years. I get the gist. All right? you, you set up the chairs. I come sit in the chairs. You say your thing. Stand up, sit down, stand up. I grab a coffee. I grab a donut. I wave at people and I go home. I denounce that, right? I disapp- disapprove of that on the grounds of Scripture, You're in here to to learn, to be equipped to do the work of ministry. You need to be involved. You need to intentionally take the preaching of God's Word. I vehemently disapprove of anyone who doesn't come in here to truly learn about God and to truly be equipped for the work of God. And if you're a non-Christian in here, I get it. It may be a little funky sometimes because you may try to apply things that you can't because you don't have the Holy Spirit. And all i got to say about that, let's talk. Because that's a whole different conversation. If you're a non-Christian in here, you've never turned from your sins and trust in Christ, please don't try to do it on your own please don't because it will never work right but the work of preaching is to disapprove and then do this i love this exhort right? exhort maybe that word you don't use a lot but that word means to implore that means to tell you right I, my job is to say you've got to do this and encourage right to exhort is to encourage you right I, it's like this and if you're a parent you do this to your own kids right you reprove them for disobeying right and then you Exhort and you encourage them. You restore them to what is right. Right? That's the work of preaching. Right? It's to say, hey, this is uh, you're convicted. That's good. I'm going to disapprove of what you're doing because it's wrong, and then I'm going to encourage you and implore you on what is right, what is good, what is God, what God wants you to do. Right? What the Scripture is teaching you to do. And of course, all of that is the work of the last word on there, teaching. Right? When you come to church, you ought to hear about Christian doctrine right you ought to hear about the accurate teaching of God in his relation to man if you don't hear that i would highly question what you're listening to you need to hear teaching and it should convict you disapprove of things you're doing and encourage you to restore you into right relationship right with god not forensically right not your justification but in your sanctification right if we're having my wife and i are having a child that child is never not going to be my child but there is a lot of times that child will not be in right fellowship with his with his father. Anybody anybody relate to that? All right? It doesn't mean he's not my kid, but it means he's not in right fellowship with his father. Right? Same same that's exactly what I'm saying. The goal of preaching is that you're not in right fellowship with God right now. Doesn't make you not a Christian, but it means you're not in right fellowship with God. And the goal of preaching is to get you to see that, convict of that, disapprove of that and encourage you to do something different and say, "Hey, this is what scripture says about it. I'm going to teach you now what the Bible says about how we live for the Lord." Isn't this amazing? Isn't it great how God is so careful about how he does this to give us something every single week that we get to reset our mind to and refocus our lives around? I mean, this is good stuff. Come on. All right. So why do we need Bible preachers? uh, you're, You're at 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy 4. Just look down at the next couple of verses. I just want to read that. There's a reason why we need Bible preachers. Because Paul saw something that was already happening and is coming in full force. And 3 and 4, and it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Hmm. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Hmm. Right? And they, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Hmm. Right? I mean, is this not so many times what many churches get themselves into over time because they realize, well, if I preach... The truth, they won't endure it. And their ears are itching, and they're going to that other church down the road because he's they're, they're preaching the way they want, they, they want to hear, right? Uh, and they're turning away from listening to the truth, and they're wandering off into things that aren't even biblical, right? That, that church, they're preaching things that aren't even found in God's Word. Uh, okay, Paul addressed that, and he said, there's going to come a time where people won't do it. And then he ends up saying, "You got to fulfill your ministry. Preach the word. Fulfill your ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. You do your job. Allow God to do the work. Right? That's the you hear the grace of the preacher. Right? My the job of my preacher isn't to try to make you do something on my own power. Right? I have a responsibility, and I'm going to allow the Spirit to convict you. You see that? Right? Right? Can you imagine a non-Christian pastor preaching? So many things wrong with that. They would be so depressed every single day of their life because every time you leave, nothing changes. And like five months from now, this non-Christian preacher is going to be like, they don't listen to me. I'm not good enough. It's like, that's there's the beginning of the gospel. You're right. No one listens and you're not good enough. That's why Christ had to come, right? That non-Christian preacher got the gospel, right? And, and all I'm saying is the grace of the preacher is it's not my job to enact on your part. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to convict you, that's going to draw you to himself, that's going to draw you to righteousness, uh, and your job is to respond to the Spirit. And preaching does that, Right? It's the preaching of God's word enacted through the preacher of God's word enacting through the preached word to the people of God, right? All those things working together, right, do something really, really special that you don't get anywhere else in the world. And that's the beauty of having a church that preaches the Bible. All right, there's a lot of things you can do, right, but at least I want you to commit to these couple of things, okay? Uh, prepare for Sundays, right, prepare for it. And you know when you prepare for Sunday? Saturday, right? You got to prepare for Sunday, but you do it on Saturday. You don't prepare for Sunday on Sunday morning. We all know how that goes, right? You got to prepare to to come in here and to hear God's word, and you got to do it on Saturday, right? You got kiddos. I mean, you got to prepare. I mean, you got to get those kids stuff, have it have it ready. So when you wake up on Sunday, you're like, right? And you know, right? Some uh, you know what happens when you don't. I ain't got to tell you. You know. I'm just saying, do it. Right? Prepare on Saturday night for Sunday. Right? When you're here, take notes. Right? Such a good thing. Right? We have note sheets. Take notes. Right. Oh, that was a great thought. Or I better talk to him about that later. He just said something crazy. Right? Don't do that. Uh, but take notes. Right? Take notes. You need to make sure that you are understanding and, and being able to record and take home in writing what you have learned. Not only that, but you understand better when you actually write what's being said. Uh, utilize your Bible in the sermon, right? I know that we are progressively getting to a technological age where computers are great, and I love it, right? I love our people who write on their computers. Uh, I, but it's always really nice to hear people when you hear them flipping their Bibles because, you know, these people get it. They get it. It doesn't matter what I say. It matters what they see in the Bible, right? When you're flipping your Bible, that's good Berean stuff, right? You know your Bible did be enough to be a Berean, right? You're going to get in there and you're going to read it. You're going to make sure that what I'm saying is what the Bible says because if it isn't, I need a new job. All right, utilize your Bible in the sermon. Right, do your application questions. Right? On the back of your paper, you see these application questions, and they're designed to drive home the message. Right? They're designed to institute or install in your Bible study throughout the week so that when you go to your life group, uh, you have something to offer other people in way of encouragement and hope. Did you hear that? Like, you also have a job in preaching. You also have a job in the equipping the saints, in the encouragement of, excuse me, the believers, that you get to add on in your life groups of what is being preached here. That's why you need to do your application question, so you have something to give in way of encouragement to your church in your local small group context. And finally, you need to apply the Bible. This is the the greatest thing I ever did in my life uh, compared with the worst thing was I remember when I started when I became a Christian I made a promise to God. I said God, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to learn everything in the Bible. <laughs> okay. I'm going to learn everything in the Bible and when I learn all of it, I'm going to start doing it. <laughs> that's what I pressed my promise I made to God. And I was about a year and a half into that and I'm like, my life's a wreck. I have all this knowledge and nothing nothing's okay. And I'm like that, but that's in that most people like, hey, I want, I know all these things about God, but I don't do any of it. And then I repented. And I made, a, I made a repromise, And I said, God, I'm just going to do whatever your word tells me to do today. Like, when I read it and it tells me what to do, I'm just going to do that. And you know what? It worked. Right? What we got to do is when God's word says it, I'm going to do it. Right? I'm not going to store it up over here for another day. I'm going to say, God, what you give me today, I'm going to do today. Right? If you will do those things, man, I cannot wait to see what God does in your life in six months. Two weeks, as a matter of fact. Tomorrow. You do God's word today, come talk to me tomorrow and let's see how life is. Right? I'm not saying you're going to have all the great things in the universe, but what I'm saying is, wow, the Spirit is going to do a great work in your life. And God does that through the preaching of His Word, right? through the obedience of the saints, as they respond to the preaching of His Word. And I pray that as we intentionally intake the preaching of God's Word, and as we understand the Bible is breathed out by God and that we use it as our compass to our life, I mean, those things will, will make this church a beacon on a hill, right? That the people can say, you know what I love about that church? They just preach the word of God. And people in there, they laugh and giggle and smile when the word of God's slapping them in the face, you know? And it's like, and they like it. Like, what's wrong with those people? Uh, and then it's like, and then the pastor told them these things that were like really convicting, but then he like stood over on this side of the pulpit and he said, but here's the beauty of the Holy Spirit that he restores you, right, that he, that he draws you to himself, and he enacts all those things that God wants in your life. The Holy Spirit does those things in your life, and all you got to do is respond to those things and faith and just walk, and God's going to provide those things that happen. Isn't that great? I mean, we could be a church that looks like that, and all it takes is people who take seriously the preaching of God's word. All right, uh, we are going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, okay, uh, and as the ushers are uh, starting to pass around the elements, uh, I want to open up the word and I want to draw your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I, I, want, you to, I want you to flip to it, remember, good Bereans, I want you to look at this, uh, because here's what I don't want you to do. Uh, I don't want you to take communion. Mm-hmm, you looked at me. That's good. All right, I don't want you to take communion if you don't read these words. I don't want you to do it. I, I'm, actually, I'm scared. I'm scared for you, according to the Bible, if you take communion and you don't heed the words that you're about to read. okay. As they're passing them out, I, I want you to look at this text here. Okay? Look at verse 27, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. There's a big problem, right? And, and if you got it, go ahead and hold it, right? Don't, don't take it yet, right? Uh, if you take it this way without examining yourself, Right? You're guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Right? That's a problem. Right? The problem of sin is that we're guilty of rebelling against God. And there is no greater rebellion than being guilty of the very murder and death of the Son of God. Right? Therefore, verse 28, let a person examine himself, then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Number two problem. Right? If you just rip this bad boy open and tip it up, like you know, you're know, you getting a, a hors d'oeuvre right, at the restaurant, right, you understand that the Bible says you're drinking judgment on yourself because you have no idea what you're doing and you have no idea the cost for it to happen and the implications of it in your very life. Verse 30, the impact. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died, right? I don't want people calling me next week and saying, I'm sick, I can't come to church. I'm like, did you, did you, did you not examine yourself, right? You went and drank the, the cup and ate the bread, and you're not here because you're sick? All I'm saying is that was going on, right? I mean, there it is, right there in God's word. God breathed, right there. And what God's word wants us to do, what God wants us to understand what we do, before you take the, the cup and you, you take the bread, you need to understand what it is, And what it is, and this is what Jesus said in the upper room, right? They were celebrating the Passover, which was the imputation of sin in the Old Testament on on the lamb, that the lamb would take the sin, right? Figuratively speaking, right? It was a symbol of the sin being imputed on the lamb. They would sacrifice the lamb. The blood of the lamb would be spilled out for the forgiveness of sin for the Israelites. And Jesus in the upper room says this, that take this cup, my blood, and this is the new covenant I give to you, that it will be poured out for the forgiveness of sin. The new covenant is that this, that blood that you're holding, right, the cup, if you will, that cup of, of juice that you're holding is a sign, right, of the new covenant, right, that your sin has been poured out on Christ, that his blood was spilt in place of yours, that your sin has been imputed onto Christ and his righteousness has been imputed onto you, right? And so when you take of this, right, you understand that that's what we're doing. Right? And when you drink the, the bread or eat the bread, you understand this, that his body was given for us, right? His body in place of our body, right? I mean, you see the significance of this, do not take this if you're not a Christian, right? And which, is a, which is an honorable, glorifying. If you're not a Christian here, good for you that you didn't do what everyone else did. Because that's not what the Bible teaches, right? That's a problem. If you're a Christian in here, make sure that you examine yourself. And then eat the bread and drink the cup. And this is what he says, verse 23, you go back up. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And we have given thanks. He broke it. and He said that this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray over the bread. God, we do thank you that your body was given for us. We thank you that as a church, we stand legitimately as one body as you are the head, because of your body that you have given for us in our place. And God, as we remember your crucifixion, your suffering, your death, and your triumphal resurrection, and that you are internally enthroned to the right hand of the Father, we thank you for this, that it's what it took, and it costs you your life, that we may have life and have it abundantly. So God, thank you for this, and let us take it now in Christ's name. Amen. In the same way, he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, we see this cup, and it is a, uh, a remembrance, right, a token of our time, Examining ourselves and remembering what we're doing this for. God, that we stood as enemies of the cross, that we were under the wrath of your righteousness. And through this blood of Christ that has been poured out, we have forgiveness of, of sin. And so, God, as we examine ourselves, as we thank you, as we even spend time right now, as I'm praying even ask for forgiveness for the sins that we have committed, that uh, we would remember that it took your blood to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. So let us take this now, Uh, God, just grateful that you have done such a great work in our lives, that we would be able to commune with one another as we look forward to your coming in our own time, drinking of the cup and eating of the bread in your kingdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This time I'm going to pray Have the worship team come up as we close worship. And I pray that in my prayer I'm going to pray that you would take this time as we did the Lord's Supper and, and consider the significance of what you're doing, right? There's a reason that we don't do it every week. I'm not saying there are churches who don't do it every week, that they're, they're bad or good. I'm saying that when we do it, we do it because we want to make sure that it's not just something that you do, that it's something you understand and it's meaningful, right? That it's significant and that you walk out of here and you think diligently about what you've done and you do this remembering the Lord is coming back, and for those who are in Christ, we're going to eat the marriage supper of the Lamb. Think about that, right? This isn't the last... This is, this is, a, this is a, for us to look, and it's a foreshadow of the, the marriage supper of the Lamb that we're all going to partake in as children of God. So let's pray as we remember that. God, what a, what a great morning as we, uh, as we worship you, as we sing our praises to you, because you are ultimately uh, honorable, that you are ultimately, uh, God... Uh, uh, good and uh, sufficient for our praise, uh, that we also, uh, God, would learn from your word, your inspired word that is breathed out for us. Uh, God, that we would apply it, that we'd live it out, that we would uh, God, use it to mature us and equip us for all the good works that you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And God, thank you uh, for saving us, to give us the opportunity to Uh, to partner in ministry with you. God, that we are, uh, as Koinonia, right, we are partners in ministry. And God, all that you are going to do here in the hill country, we pray that you would use us uh, mightily to do any of that work that you have deemed, uh, God, sufficient for us to partake in. So God, we just take this time, we thank you, thank you for your word. And as we close, God, I pray that we would continue remembering you in all that we're doing here in our own lives and here at Compass. In Christ's name I pray, Amen. 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 Please stand and sing with us as Steve leads us on a glorious day.